Excellent church. This morning's scripture reading will be coming from John 14, verses 12 through 15. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because of the, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Beloved, it is wonderful to see all of you this morning. We appreciate you being here so very much. I'm going to begin a series, beginning today, another series. We do these from time to time. I'm going to be talking about why Jesus came to the earth, why Jesus went back to heaven, and why Jesus is coming again. Beloved, it's important for us, especially those who claim to be his children, to know those things. We need to know the why and the wherefore because his mission is to be our mission. Amen? We understand that, right? I hope. Brethren, we're going to look at this mostly from the book of John. Why did Jesus come to earth? We sing that song. Why did my Savior come to earth? Why did he do that? Why was he born in the flesh? Why, why did he do everything that he did from the, uh, in, in coming to this earth? And, and we, the, the chorus of the song adds a, a nice hint, because he loved me so. And that is the main reason. But we're going to look at a number of them. He came the first time, brothers and sisters, so um, a uh, so that um, a work all of us can and should do. Jesus came first to do a work that all of us can and should be doing. In Acts one verse one, um, Luke uh, begins his epistle there by saying, "The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach." until he, the day he was taken up into heaven. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not get done. Jesus did not complete all of his work on this earth, and neither will you and I. The work of Christ will still be going on when he returns. The church, as we have done another series on and have studied extensively, the church is literally the body of Christ. That's not a figure. That is not an illustration. That is a fact. We are, if you are a Christian, you are in and should be a functioning, vibrant part of the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the literal, spiritual body fulfilling <clears throat> what Jesus Christ began and what he came to accomplish. And so we need to continue what he began. Did you notice those verses in John 14, the Bible says this, okay? Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, and I'm, I'm going to repeat this. Kyle did a good job, I'm, but, but we need to get, emphasize this, brethren. He, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And listen to this, brethren. This is where people have trouble with it. He says, you'll do greater works than these. Why? How in the world could we do greater works than Jesus? He's saying, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be in heaven now. I've done my share. I've done my part. I've offered my body on the cross to, to, so that you can be saved. Now you're part of the body of Christ today. And so you're going to continue those works, brothers and sisters. We are literally, as the body of Christ, the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece for Jesus Christ today. And so he calls that a greater work. So he said, now here's the key. Whatever you ask in my name... That I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
Beloved, we need to be doing the work of Jesus Christ. And in order to continue the work that Christ began, we need to know why he came. John gives six reasons why Jesus came. We're going to read scripture that says, I came or I have come. And I want us to look at these this morning so we'll know why Christ came, you know. We need to ask that why in uh, adult class on Sunday morning. We're asking the question in a very legitimate, why do we believe what we believe? And so this is, is why. Why did Jesus come to this earth, okay? Uh, Christ came, first of all, to do God's will. As a member of the body of Christ, I am to do God's will also. John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Brothers and sisters, that applies not only to Jesus Christ, it applies to every part of the body of Jesus Christ today. That is to what we're to do. We are to do God's will. And brothers and sisters, we're to do God's will even at great personal sacrifice. See, us pampered Christians in America don't understand that concept. When Jesus was getting ready to be nailed on a cross and he's praying at what's called the high priestly prayer in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, verse 39, he, after struggling greatly and sweating blood, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He understood that to do the will of God on the earth was going to cost him and be sacrificial. We don't so much understand that today. We want a religion of convenience and not commitment. We are to do God's will no matter what the cost, brothers and sisters. We've been saved to serve. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 uh, uh, tell us this, that we have been saved to serve, brothers and sisters. If you look at every description of the Christian in God's word, it involves service. It involves service. Every description, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, that we have done a series on, the body of Jesus Christ. The body does what? Its service is to carry out the will of the head. And each individual part has a particular function or work or service in the body. 1 Peter 2, we've looked at this section of Scripture recently. The Bible says we are a holy priesthood. Why are we a holy priesthood? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Verse 5. Verse 9 says that we have been saved so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. John 10 says we are sheep, and as sheep we are to hear and follow the shepherd. John 15 says we are branches of the true vine, which is Jesus Christ, and the job or the service or the work of the branches is to bear much fruit. 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, As soldiers in God's army, we are to please our commanding officer and do so over the cares and concerns of the world. In that regard, brethren, I fear a lot of Christians are AWOL, absent without leave. 2 Corinthians 5 says that as ambassadors of Christ, we are to persuade others to be reconciled to God. So what is learned in the church house is to be lived in the marketplace. Jesus came, number one, to do God's will. We are to do God's will. Secondly, the Bible says he came to be a light in a dark world. John 12, verse 46, okay? I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Um, those in sin, 
those without Christ, those who are lost. They live, the Bible says, in darkness. But Christ came to be our light. Now, the tragedy, though, beloved, is that many people reject the light. Jesus said this in John chapter 3. I've come as light, and I'm sorry, this, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. Okay? And so then, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Brothers and sisters, when you turn on the light, roaches are going to run for cover. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Light eliminates darkness regardless of the protest of the forces of darkness. And the forces of darkness will protest when the light is shined on them. John 9, verse 5, Jesus says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Brothers and sisters, while Jesus is in the world, Jesus has returned to heaven. So how then does his light continue to shine in a darkened world? Through his people, through his body, through his church. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Y'all know this verse, right? You are the light of the world. Jesus said this about his disciple. Again, a fact, not a figure. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on the left hand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before me. And he's talking about of the world, in the world, not just inside this church building. And let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works. And glorify you, Father, who is in heaven. We are the light of the world today. And in the light, the Bible says we're to be walking in the light, John 9, verse 4. We're to be warring against the forces of darkness uh, as light, Romans 13, 12. We're to be walking in the light, Ephesians 5, 8. We're to be witnessing as the light, Philippians 2, 15. And we're to be watching as the light, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 and 6. Brothers and sisters, that's what the light is to do. Don't allow the darkness to dim your light. We've got to shine on because our world is as dark today as it was in the time of Christ. Amen? And they need the light of Jesus today just as bad as they need it when he walked on this earth. And for the sake of those in the darkness, we need to light their way to Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. John 18, verse 37. Pilate asked, said to him, are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly, I'm a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world. Why did my Savior come to earth? To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He also, in chapter 1, verses 14 and 17, and then in chapter 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Brothers and sisters, the Bible said that Satan is, the li is a liar and the father of all lies. And so he's done an effective job, as we know, if you look around, of convincing the world to believe what is false. A vast amount of evidence in our culture says that. Now, a lot of people in this world are literally living a lie. And so we are to continue to bear witness to the truth. 
Again, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. What are we to do? The Bible says concerning the truth. We're to walk in the truth. 1 John 4 and 3 John 3. We're to walk in the truth. We're to speak the truth in love, the Bible says. We're to worship in spirit and in truth. Love is to be done in deed and in truth, God says. We're to handle accurately or rightly divide the word of truth. So Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? A lot of people are asking that today. The answer is in John 17, 17, when Jesus said to God, your word is truth. Friend, are you living according to God's word? That's what we need to ask, right, brothers and sisters? You can't be saved by, by living a lie. We've got to come to the truth, and we've got to uh, live that truth in our life. Brothers and sisters, it's one thing to know the truth and another one to live it, isn't it? Boy, that was, that was, I, I thought that was a question. Brethren, listen. A lot of people, quote, know the truth. A lot of people know facts about Jesus in the Bible. We've got to carry it out. We've got to live the truth of Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, then next, the Bible tells us that Jesus came that men may have the abundant life. John 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I came not only that you may have life, but that you may have it abundantly. Or as some versions say, uh, some versions, versions of the Bible say that it is to the full, the fullest measure. The abundant life isn't found in possessions or property or power or popularity. You can have all of these and still be poor and miserable and empty and lonely. The abundant life is found only in Jesus Christ. Brethren, I challenge you to give yourself completely to Jesus. And we don't, we don't fathom that in this country in many ways. Ours is a, a religion of convenience. I'm talking about you surrender your life completely to Jesus and the living going to get good. It's going to get abundant. It's going to get to the full. You come to Jesus and you will receive, the Bible says, abounding hope and assurance. You will receive eternal glory, which the Bible says in the text there is far beyond all comparison. You will receive an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, you notice the pattern here, the similarities, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, we have redemption, our sins are forgiven. How? A little bit? No, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. We have an abundance. Ephesians 3, verse 20, we are to serve the God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we're able to ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. That's the abundant life. 1 Timothy 1.14, we have received God's grace in, as Paul says there, more than abundant measure. You have the abundant life in Jesus Christ if you'll grab hold to it. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 and 4, God's divine power has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness as well as he goes on to say, we have his precious and magnificent promises. Do you notice the way all of these things are described? And they're ours, brothers and sisters. You come to Jesus, and I'm, I mean really come to Jesus. You surrender your life to Christ, and Jesus will change you and challenge you 
and chastise you and convict you and counsel you and compel you and complete you and cherish you and care for you and cling to you and comfort you and carry you to the thrilling, fearful heights until one day he carries you to your home in heaven. That's the abundant life. We don't grasp it. And yet, in spite of all these blessings and the abundant life that's found only in Jesus Christ, some still refuse to grab hold to it. In John 5, 40, Jesus says, You are unwilling to come to me that you may have life, but have that abundant life. But they won't come. That's our job. Take it to them. That's our ministry. Jesus came that men may have the abundant life. We are to show others through our living brothers and sisters how to possess that abundant life. I want us to look at, be able to look at anybody in this auditorium and say, I want what they got. I'll watch how they live. I want that. Brethren, as people observe our lives, why aren't they eagerly seeking to get this abundant life that Jesus has promised. And you know the answer. Because we can't give what we ain't got. Are you living that abundant life in Christ? Jesus came that we may have the abundant life. We say, well, we have the abundant life by things we can obtain and possess. No, no, no. Jesus said you have the abundant life by what you give up by how you're willing to die to yourself and live for me. So if we don't have this abundant life that Jesus said he came to the earth to give, if we don't have it, whose fault is it? That's another question. If G And we don't want to answer that, do we? If Jesus offers it to us and we don't have it, then who refuses it? Who didn't accept it? We are to live the abundant life so that we may share it with others, brothers and sisters. And then, fifthly, Jesus came to speak the word uh, that would judge the willfully blind. You see this in John 9, verse 39. He, he brings it in context. We're going to look at this. But Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, in chapter 9 of this text, Jesus has healed a, a man who was born blind. Born blind, he healed him. But the problem was he healed him on a Sabbath. And so he gets in a lot of trouble with the Pharisees, and they question and condemn the man who was healed by Jesus, and they, sh and, and, and they showed by that questioning and condemnation that they were willfully blind. They rejected the evidence of this man being healed, and they refused to see. There is a willful blindness that an obvious miracle had been performed, they would not accept. The man was born blind. He was standing before them seeing that the miracle worker was the promised Messiah. They refused to see. The Old Testament scriptures, which they knew very well, offered proof and evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, and they willfully ignored those scriptures they had been raised on. Chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. If you read verses 46 and 47, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. 
Brothers and sisters, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convene a council and saying, what are we doing for this man is performing many signs. That means miracles. They admitted it. The Pharisees, listen, Lazarus was dead in the grave and stunk because he was rotting and decomposing. The Pharisees admit the miracles of Christ are real. What was their reaction? Verse 53, we got to kill him. And then later on with Lazarus, what did Lazarus do? Why, he had the, uh, mitig- uh, the unmitigated gall to die and be rotting in the grave. And then chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, they, they sought to kill him also. Why? Because a lot of people saw that miracle was coming to Christ. And they didn't want that. Jesus came to judge the willfully blind who refused to accept him. Why were they willfully blind? Chapter 12, verses 42 and 43 tells us why in many cases, and it's the same today, nevertheless, many even of the rulers, the, the, the bigwigs in the, in the synagogue believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this. For they loved the approval of man rather than the approval of God. Oh, man. That's a whole other sermon. I won't even go there today, okay? Study that, brethren. They're those who reject the Messiah. And they're going to be without excuse on the day of judgment. Brethren, today, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're to speak the word that will judge the willfully blind. But if we could perform miracles today, then people would believe, right? That's what we say. That's what Jesus did, right? No, Jesus didn't say uh, refusing to believe his miracles would judge them. In verse 48 of the text, he said, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings or my word, the word I speak is what's going to judge them. We see this um, <clears throat> in Luke 16, verses 27 through 31. Y'all read John, okay? I'm, I'm pressing. Um, but in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, he, the, the rich man's in, in Hades, Lazarus in paradise. He looks across, sees him. You know what the story and everything. And when he finds out that Lazarus can't help him in any way, what's his request? I've got four brothers. You send them back. You send Lazarus back from the dead so that they won't have to come to this place of torment. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That was the Bible in that day. So they've got the word of God. Let them listen to the word of God. They can be saved by doing that. Oh, no, no, no. But if someone rises from the dead and goes back to them, they'll believe him. You would think that would be the case, brothers and sisters, you know. Somebody don't really believe in God, and, 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 and a man knocks on their door who's been dead for several days or months or however long it's been and says, repent. You would think they would. Jesus said, no. No. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, neither would they believe if someone raised from the grave. They won't believe a miracle either, brothers and sisters. It's not the miracle, it's the belief in God and his word. We are to speak the word today so that some may receive it and be saved. And we're to speak that same word so that the willfully blind will refuse it and be judged by it. The same word will save as well as condemn, brethren. Depends on the heart of the person receiving that word. And then lastly, Jesus came to save sinners. We sing that song. That's going to be our theme song throughout this series. Why didn't my Savior come to earth and do the humble go? Because he loved me so. We are to bring sinners to Jesus Christ. 
In John 12, verse 47, if anyone hears my saying and do not keep him, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the world to judge, but to save the world. Brethren, that's his first trip. We're going to see that coming back, he's going to judge the world. His first time here, he didn't come to judge. He come to save. As he says in John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world may be saved through him. That's our mission today. Notice who he came to save, brothers and sisters. See, we get this wrong sometimes. First, First Timothy 1.15 is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did he come into the world? To save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Romans 5 verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When criticized with associating with the tax collectors and the sinners, Jesus' answer was that it's not those who are well who need the physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's who. Brothers and sisters, we get that all mixed up. We want somebody to get really straightened out before they come to the Lord, right? Why, you can't come to Christ. You're a sinner. (laughs) That's who he died for. That's who he came to save. And you know what? I'm glad. You know why? Because every one of us at the age of accountability that's sitting in this room or out there on TV land are sinners. So I'm glad. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Because you and I are sinners, the Bible says in Romans 3.23. I hear people when you study them, they'll say something like this. Well, God wouldn't save a sinner like me. I've been so horrible. You are the reason Christ came to this earth. Christ came to us so we may come to him. The question this morning is, have you? And will you? Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, Jesus says, burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. He invites us to do that. Brothers and sisters, Christ came to us so that we may go to him, so that we may come to him. Don't miss that opportunity. That's why Jesus came to the earth. And beloved, those of us who are in Christ, we're to carry on his mission. We're to continue what he began. And we're to continue it for all the days of our life. Let's always be aware of that. Let's practice that. And if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'll help you any way we can while we stand and sing.